Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crime Podcast. I'm Taylor. I'm Morgan. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Happy episode 147. Good thing one of us knows because it ain't ever going to be me. I really I feel like I haven't recorded an intro in like 40 years. No, because we haven't. I know. Because we like did them all. I've already like mentioned that I had a great time in Italy. Like I just don't know what else. Italy was great. Italy was great. My staycation was great. I love staycations. Yeah, except for Morgan worked her ass off while I was gone. <laughs> Morgan, I play role. I role played Taylor. She literally play role, rolled. Play role. She play rolled me, <laughs> and it was ten out of ten. She did a great job, guys. Did you know that Morgan edited all of one forty four? I did that. She did that. She trusted me with her birthday episode. That was my. I don't know why episode. she did that. I had no choice. <laughs> I had to leave, bitch. I had to get the fuck out of town. <laughs> oh, for sure. That bitch would have taken her laptop. She was like, you know, it's my birthday. I can't trust you. Sorry. Yeah. Love you, but I'm doing it well, on the plane. I thought about doing it. And then Logan was like, first off, we don't have space for your laptop. So you're definitely not bringing it. We needed it. the empty suitcase to bring back the 40 pounds of gifts. <laughs> the 40 pounds of gifts. I don't know what the hell happened to me over there. I just had to buy stuff. But you know what I did buy over here on Prime Day? Yeah. Prime Pride Day. Prime. Amazon Prime Day. They should have a Pride Day. They should. Do they? I don't think so. Well, if they don't, they should do a Pride Prime Day <gasps> in June. In June. Amazon, free idea. Take it. If you work for Amazon, send it up. Take give credit a, for it. Do whatever you need to. extra discount if you want. Yeah, Amazon. but you ha- if you take it, you have to give us like a little bit of, I, little I, bit of something, something. Personally, what I would like is for you on Audible and Amazon podcast to take our podcast and put it at the front, <laughs> number one spot. Whenever Always. anyone opens, it just has to be there. It's just actually, it starts playing. It immediately starts playing. Like Not you, on episode one, but it starts playing. <laughs> if it's on episode one, I'm coming to your house so don't <laughs> oh shit except for i would like i know we say this every time we bring it up like i want to do like a binge through where we like listen i think whenever we're like 35 we will i actually i think i'll be like i don't i can't hear that no honestly we should do it on the like 10 year mark yeah what is 10 years from then we were what 22 when we started it so 32 2020 we're 25 we're what year do we turn 30 if oh, we just turn in 25. five years wow 28 28. That feels like it's coming up quick. Yeah. Maybe 30. <laughs> Excuse me? What? Hold the phone. Hold it. It's almost 24. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Okay. You know what? Though I'm not scared of 30, though. It's just no, kind of fucking jarring because I just feel so in my 20s. Like, yeah. Age is not just a number. No. no. Age defines you. <laughs> well, you know what? I will say that. I have noticed about my age is like my face is aging, like my I skin. I too. Yeah, it like really mm-hmm. freaks me the fuck out. Like, yeah, 
what do I do? <laughs> yeah, no, I notice it too all the time. I'm like looking, I'm like, something's not right here. Yeah. Something's not scary. right. My hips too. My hips hurt now. I'm like, really? I'm, yeah, my, my body's like, it's time to have a baby. Your body's like, give me them birthing yeah, hips. Yeah, I got my birthing hips on, bitch. <laughs> and I'm like, no thanks. I've had my birthing hips on since the eighth grade. I've had my birthing <laughs> hips since I was literally four years old. Like, I came out of the womb with my birthing <laughs> hips. I've always had a giant fucking uh, ass. There's like these pictures of me when I was little. My mom like always talks about this. You know how, okay, I don't know if, if this is just like a Southern Baptist thing. I don't fucking know, okay? I'm scared. So growing up at birthday parties, up until like a good m amount into high school, probably up until we could drive, mm -hmm. there were families that anytime we would have like a pool party or go to these people's houses, it was on the invitation that girls needed to wear like one pieces or tankinis. No. Out of respect. For yeah. who? The boys? Yeah. Or for the dads? To, the for creeps. the temptation of the boys is how it was written. And yeah, we, I, I we, could, we had to wear like one, one pieces to like, church camps and which well, so church normal. camps yeah but yeah. like if it was okay so like if it was a field trip yes anything at school yes church camps yes but if it was like you you're my friend and you're having a birthday party my mom would show up and all four of her kids even the boys would be in bikinis no, <laughs> no but yeah we That's it would crazy. be on the invitation and if you didn't you would just kind of like talked about like it was not good or like the mom would be like let me give you a t-shirt it yeah ew yeah dude that that was a thing. Obviously, Damn. when my parent, my June little birthday came around, my parents are throwing keggers right alongside the fucking birthday parties, bitch. We had yeah. okay, so you could your mom didn't make you my, guys fuck do no, that. my mom never did, but people would not let their kids come to my birthday party because of because that. they were not asking the girls to cover up. I just have always had like a very curvy figure. No, me too, and I've had adult males since I was like yeah. seven make comments, make comments on it my entire life. It's disgusting. It's it's so disgusting. Uncles. Yeah, it's weird. And like people would be like, oh, wow, she's got a very adult body, like weird shit like that. My parents are like, no, you're fucking pedo. Get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah, what the fuck? So anyways, there's like all these pictures of me in these like tight ass little one pieces looking even more revealing than it would if I just wore a fucking bikini. Right. Always like cackle about it. We're like, well, what, what the are fuck they, are they what trying they to do? What did they you in? Adam Sandler fit? <laughs> yeah. They Is would, that it? They would give us like big ass Adam Sandler t-shirts. That's crazy. Isn't dude. that like such a different? It, I remember I wouldn't weird. I would refuse because I only wore bikinis like, yeah. for most of my life. I had life. to go buy some for these fucking birthday always, parties. Always. Yeah. But I would refuse to go to the camp pool because I was like, I'm not wearing that. I'm it not putting so that on me. Because, you know, there was only like two. But I feel like one piece is because so many little girls bodies are just like different. Mm -hmm. Some are taller, some are. And you only have small, medium, large. Exactly. And so it's going to give them a big freaking wedgie and a moose knuckle. A moose knuckle and, and a camel toe. A camel toe. And I was walking around and with that's a damn more, moose knuckle. And that's more revealing than a one or two <laughs> I piece. looked crazy. That's why I didn't wear them because I was literally like, my... I'm too tall for because I was tall. My I was always so tall. Is so fucking long for my body. Like I'm yeah. not. I mean, I was always way taller than everyone. It wasn't until eighth grade that people passed me. No, me too. I towered over the guys. Dude, the boys. We would. We, we would have been best friends. Just two little fucking weird curvy giants walking the fuck around, dancing, literally dancing and doing shit. Very revealing. having dance battles. Okay. Says. No wonder what they like asked <laughs> me to fucking wear a tankini. I was out there being like, "Do you have a chair that I can dance to this Britney Spears song on?" <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> like immediately let me whip my hair yeah I'm like actually do you have the little thing where I can pull it like Paula Abdul and it just like water goes all over me or right. what are we doing like here bucket? yeah can anyone get that bucket can anyone me? get that bucket ready for me like no really that was like a, such a different reality and 
I never like have talked about it since then. Like I've never brought it up until yeah. just when we were talking about that. I was like, there's just like things that you did when you were younger with like people in your community that are so specific to that community. And it's like, you just don't think about it. I know. Until years and years later and you're like, Shit, not everyone did that. Like, it's just like such a weird experience. I know. I wish we knew each other during that time. I'm really jealous of everyone that got to know you then. But I'm also like very thankful that we caught each other at this time. Yeah, you should be very grateful. I'm very grateful. I mean, as a kid, like we really, my, we were so into sports. All yeah. four of us were so into sports. Like my mom was, we were at the baseball fields painting the dugouts. Mm -hmm. Like that's what we were doing like for our spare time. It's just a lot of like hectic craziness. Like think of my mom having a minivan with four of us as kids. Like we were never home ever. Yeah. Ever. It was yeah. crazy. No, I was just <laughs> doing my little thing. It was such I don't know what it would be a like quiet to be time. only child. It's just quiet. It's kind of lonely. I think I would have loved the attention, though, from my parents. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it's like, they're like. Not that my parents neglected me by any means. Well, you think that, but like. But I had to share it with three others. Right. But then you had like someone else to entertain you. But like when my parents were like fucking done, mm -hmm. it was, you know. Yeah. I just never like sensed like any sort of being by myself until mm. I, I didn't get my own bedroom until I think the third grade. Mm. And I didn't even have like my own fucking bed. Like I was that I was neglected. And I will tell my mother that all the time. <laughs> the room is big enough for two twin size beds. But no, I had the trundle bed. So anytime no. Marley had to go to the bathroom or do whatever, like I was always getting stepped on. Yeah, <laughs> that's miserable. But like we had fun at night. Like we I bet that was around. Fun. Like we played with flashlights and like we would never go to sleep. My mom would always have to the boys would be sleeping. My mom would always would have to be like, girls like you know like beating our ass because we were all screaming crazy. at you guys no i was just scared to death sitting in there by myself <laughs> that's sad it was really like when i think back to it i'm like yeah that was nice because it was just like alone time you know every time i like i would wear my mom out by noon and then my dad would come home and i'd be like hey, hey, hey. <laughs> like, it's your turn yeah <laughs> welcome to hell <laughs> <laughs> Welcome home. I love when we get in the groove of telling stories. It reminds me like of so much. It reminds me of like so much, but also it reminds me of like the early part of the podcast when we were still introducing ourselves. So there were new stories mm -hmm. and like those were new stories. Yeah. Thank God we, we learn something new every day. Learn something new every day. I guess we better hit you guys with it. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up and let it get creepy. As you guys know, we are one week post laser hair removal treatment on our underarms from Ideal Image. Taylor, how are you feeling? Round one has me feeling so confident and so happy. My favorite part, if I'm going to be like completely honest, is being able to literally watch the hair fall out. I know, me too. Underarms. But our girl, Emily, who did our treatment, she made sure we knew because we are pickers, we are poppers, that we cannot be plucking our underarm hair. So we're just holding our arms up and like watching, hoping that we we 
can watch one as it falls out. Guys, when we posted our stories at Ideal Image here in Knoxville, we got so many questions from you guys. And the number one question that we got was, did it hurt? Not really, not to us. We also have high pain tolerance, but mm -hmm. it was nothing that was miserable. Right. I wouldn't say it was painless, but no. I would say that it is bearable. And you kind of like the sting. It's it kind, kind of, of becomes like addicting. The burn, like when you're working out and you're like, I know I'm going to look so good after this or whenever you're kind of hurting, but you really want that last bite of the crust from your pizza. Right. You just have to do it. Right. You can feel the confidence that you want just like creeping in. The confidence and the content that comes behind it. <laughs> the second question that you guys all asked was, why did we choose to do laser hair removal on our underarms? Well, for one, it permanently reduces that unwanted hair for good. It saps the hair follicles right at the root so that you can see and feel the results right away. And not to mention, it saves time and money compared to a lifetime of shaving and waxing. True that. And with waxing, you must grow hair back out for each session. But with laser, you don't. Amazing. So ditch the razor for the laser and never have to pack it up for your trips like I had to for Italy. An ideal image is the best place for you to do so. They have over 20 million successful treatments and their licensed medical professionals are just top notch. Everywhere. Like, everywhere. In like, a we very could live accessible there. network. We could live there. We could <laughs> honestly live there. And they're so kind. And just 10 out of 10 recommend them. Ideal Image is celebrating 20 years of real results with throwback pricing. So get your free personalized plan. Contact them today. Go to idealimage.com slash creeps and crimes. That's www.idealimage.com slash C-R-E-E-P-S-A-N-D-C-R-I-M-E-S. Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life, or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. Remember to subscribe. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. So see you then. Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Everything keeps dropping. Are we good? Yeah, we're fine. Okay, what do I have for you today? I don't know if you're going to love me or if you're going to hate me. <laughs> I think that you'll love this, but... At the same time, I don't know. So I want you to prepare to be mindfucked. <laughs> like actually question your existence, entire existence for the next week probably is what's going to happen. Okay. Today I'm going to be covering the egg theory. This was recommended to me by one of our listeners, Jess. So shout out Jess for totally wrecking my brain because while I had known like about the egg theory or heard of it, I didn't really know what the egg theory was. I have no idea what it is pretty crazy. Okay. So this is what I wrote. It's a little cutesy thing. It says, come along with me as we unscramble our brains like scrambled eggs. So you were in this. I was in You're this. You're in. Like, I, I, I know it. where your brain was. So put in perspective, I watch YouTube videos. That never happens. Oh my God. Okay. She was in it. Yeah. And I also woke up to a text message that came through at 6.53. Luckily, I was up. Don't know why. <laughs> why were you? I just woke up this morning. I saw that. I was like, she'll be back to sleep. Did you? <laughs> no. You had, you had your excitement of your espresso machine. Well, yeah, that. But also, like, I just woke up and I was like, I go? got shit I got to do today. I got to get up. I woke up to 6.53 this morning, a text message. I'm so mind fucked about the case I'm covering today. You're going to kill me. Yeah. That's what it's I woke up crazy. to. It's pretty crazy. 
Okay, so the egg theory was birthed into this world in 2009 by a short story novelist named Andy Weir. Now, you might know some of Andy Weir's work, like The Martian, Mm -hmm. which turned into a film starring Matt Damon. Yeah. Andy Weir was born in June of 1972 in Davis, California. His father, John, was a physicist at Sandia National Laboratories, and his mother was an electrical engineer. So, bro had the brains. He came out the womb, like, figuring out shit, right? Right. Like, he was doing the Pythagorean theorem in the womb. He had teeth, and he could talk. (laughs) And he could talk. (laughs) He grew up obsessed with reading, mostly science fiction books. At 15 years old, he worked as a computer programmer. Following this passion by studying computer science at the University of California in San Diego after high school. Even though he never graduated from college, he still worked as a programmer for many popular software companies, including the video game corporations where he worked on Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness. People like that are too smart for college. Right. I know. Like, They're like, fuck it. I'm yeah. stupid. Could you imagine Like they recognize smart? like how like dumb it is and dumb college. Yeah. Like yeah. it's like trying to go back to like preschool and learn your ABCs for these right. people. Like, yeah. Exactly. Bullshit. It was around college that he developed an interest in writing science fiction and he knew his shit was good so he created his own website and he began self-publishing his own work on there Mm. his first published novel was the martian and it was no easy task to write this he spent countless hours extensively researching orbital mechanics conditions on mars history of human spaceflight and botany Wow. Like, he's a scientist full around. Like, you can't even, like, I would have just been fucking around with, like, you know, writing what I, in my wildest imagination, would happen on these places. And he's, like, making it accurate. Yeah. Me too. I'm like, science fiction. Okay. It's fiction. These aliens went up and then they. Underneath the the court. To be the size of the universe overlooking (laughs) us, we saw one eyeball. That's actually what Mars is. And the eye started guiding us all. That's my science fiction. Yeah. So The Martian was published as a free blog post basically on his website until some of his readers, they wanted it to be available on the Kindle. So he published it through Amazon, selling it for only 99 cents. And then the novel quickly made it to Kindle bestseller list. So he sold his rights to Crown Publishing Group. And their print version was number 12 on the New York Times bestseller list in 2014. Wow. But it wasn't The Martian that gave Andy his publicity. Instead, it was a short story he posted on his website called The Egg. The egg gained significant attention and blew up because of YouTube creators that were adapting his story into videos. There was Playmate writers making it into a one-act play like it was like the hot commodity. Right. It even influenced music artists like the rapper Logic for his third album, Everybody. Hmm. And it also gave birth to the theory of the universe, a theory of the universe, the egg theory. Basically, the theory suggests that all human souls are essentially the same soul, experiencing different lives across different time periods and bodies. Every person who has ever lived or will ever live is actually just one soul, reincarnating into different individuals to gain different perspectives and experiences. So I'm going to break this down for you guys. But this was my conspiracy marijuana era Morgan brain at work here. Oh, God. I haven't reread it. I hope it makes sense. Like, this is like my thoughts on a paper of like me trying to explain. I watch YouTube videos. I read the story. I read articles about it. But I was like, fuck this. I want to explain it myself. Okay. So I'm going (laughs) to try. I'm going to break this down really well. Welcome to 204. Welcome to 204. Starting with the short story. What was the story? The main character is simply known as you. And pretty quickly in the story, you meets God. And God is referred to as me. Okay. So the rest of the story is basically this giant conversation between you and me or you and God. Right. Okay. You find out that you died. 
and you went to what you believed was heaven and you met God. But he kind of shocked you with the way of the universe. And we will get to that. God tells you that your time here is short. You're actually going to be sent back down. But back in your timeline, you're going to be sent to a different part of it. Okay. That makes sense. And then he reveals that, you know, this isn't your first rodeo because you're like, what? I'm going back down. Like, have I done that before? And he's like hundreds of times like you, you're always reincarnated. As a matter of fact, an uncountable amount of times into countless different bodies. You've been reincarnated. Think of you as you yourself, right? Right. Mind, body and soul. You have been reincarnated into countless different bodies living all over the earth and at all times in the past, the present and the future. God lets you know that time doesn't exist only in your universe. It exists, but time is not a real thing and that you will continue to be reincarnated until you're ready to be born. Born into what? We'll get there. Ultimately, the universe is just your egg waiting to hatch until you've lived all the lives of every person here in this universe. And I mean every single person here in our universe, past, present, future, it doesn't matter. So for example, this means that I, Morgan, was once or will be Taylor, Aaron, my mother, our producer, Ashley, our agent, Grayson, our president and all the past presidents, Jesus, Moses, Noah, even Beyonce, the Kardashians and all the Kardashian kids. Like I will be them. I will live their lives once or I already have lived their lives. So when you hear the saying, Jesus is in your heart, literally according to the egg theory, he is in your soul because you and him are one. You were once him or you will be Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So all people on earth, like think of it as like, this is your story. Okay. And only it's only written for you. I love how you individually pulled people to mindfuck out of this I know (laughs) Ashley Ashley (laughs) pay attention (laughs) but on the flip side this also means that I Morgan was also once or will be Ted Bundy Charles Manson Brian Laundrie Brian Koberger Kim Jong-un Hitler etc like I was also all those evil souls that live on this earth the theory is literally focused on main character energy. Yeah. As in, you are the literal main character of the universe. But what's the point of us being reborn so many times? Like, why don't we remember it? The state of consciousness that comes in the afterlife holds all of our memories. So when we reach the afterlife, that current life, it like gets stored up there. I think it's right. like a memory file. Thoughts, emotions, memories from every previous past life. And if you were to stay there long enough, then you will start to remember some of them. But we're never, ever there long enough to remember them. Right. But this may explain why some children sometimes remember their past lives because maybe they were in the center of their egg for a little too long Mm. before they were reborn or reincarnated, Mm. which was able to give them those memories to come back and be like, I was this person in 9-11 or I was this person in World War II. Right. For most of us, we get sent back into our universes relatively quickly and we retain only lessons that help us choose from right or wrong. If we lived an evil life, usually we will be reincarnated as one of their victims in the next life to rid of that evil. So if we lived as Ted Bundy, the next time we come down, we might be one of his victims. Right. It's like canceling it out. Yeah. It doesn't matter what year on earth you leave the universe. Meaning if you died in 2002, you could be reincarnated into your next life that takes place in the 1650s or 300 AD. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. But what's the point of all of this? Since as long as I can remember, I was always told we are all childs of God, Mm -hmm. we're God's child, which according to the egg theory is true. That is exactly what we are, the child of God, God's child, but more of a baby, like a fetus, if you will. God's child, who we will be someday, 
that hasn't been born yet. And in order to be born, we must live every life here on earth at every point in time. We need those lessons, those emotions, those thoughts, feelings, experiences to be able to be born. And once we are ready, our egg, the universe we've been living in for millions of years at this point, our time, even though time isn't real, our egg will hatch. And then we will then be ready to be a god. So we're like God's baby. Oh, Lord. What? That This is like, this is like, I mean, how long are you taught like, oh, Jesus is always in your heart and your heart He's in your heart. Jesus is always in your heart. And yeah, we're children of God. Like this theory is literally saying we are God's child. Like Like, we're just being reincarnated over and over again. This is our life. It's kind of like a mesh of a a lot of religions in one. Okay, wait, we need to say something really quickly before we move forward with this. This is us just talking it out. We're just talking. We're it just out. talking it out. We're not saying that any of this is fact. We're not saying that killers become their victims. Like, right. Yeah, this is this just is, my brain. This is not like in writing the, anywhere. But right. This my is, head. This is just for her to best explain it to you, the audience and what you guys would be able to recognize and relate with in order to understand what's going on. Same for me. So if that was the case, then Jesus would have stayed like just a little too long and he remembered it for a little too long. Right. Oh, and then we all go and we like have like a like a Greek ancient Egyptian god fest I where guess. like everyone I don't know what the god child. Of the universe looks like like what happens so I'm when thinking you it's are like a, a source god. right where's an egg come into this so I like to think of it as like my fourth grade classroom you remember did you guys ever like hatch chickens you guys didn't do that <laughs> so in fourth grade <laughs> and you guys didn't do that I thought you were about to say where you like put the egg in the thing and you drop it a store and it doesn't break. And no, we win. did that in high school. Yeah, we, I, we did that in eighth grade, but okay. I did not hatch a chicken. So in fourth grade, my class in our school, we hatched chickens. So they'd bring in an incubator and they'd line up like 20 chickens. And if you were allowed, you had your permission slip sign, you got to take a chicken home. Well, I took a chicken home and its name was Morgan. I course. know you did. Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, it lived in my living room. My mom wanted to scream. <laughs> oh my God. Nonetheless. So I like to think of the fourth grade classroom when we did have an incubator with 20 or so chicken eggs. But okay. if you were to multiply those incubators, you know, by the hundreds, maybe the thousands, maybe the millions. It's an, I don't know how many gods there are out right. there and place those incubators in some heavenly like void out mm-hmm. somewhere in the universe. I don't know where currently sitting in one of those incubators preparing to be born is our own eggs or my egg or your egg. Okay, okay, okay. So we're all, but technically the egg theory is, is that it's my world and you're just living in it. So we just live in our, like the earth is the yolk of the egg essentially. And we just keep- Well, the earth is like just- like fake, basically. Right, so right. like our egg is our entire universe. So it's the earth is in there, but also the sun, the stars, right. Mars, Venus, the Mercury, entirety of it. The entire universe is in our egg. We're just so minute or maybe the egg's ginormous and <laughs> gods are extra ginormous, which right. I'm assuming they would have to be. So then whose world are we in right now? Mine or yours? Well, technically we're the same person, but to oh, me, right. it's going to be my world. To you, it's going to be your world. I'm just living in it. Yeah. Y'all are all just guests here, bitch. Yeah. So that saying it's my world and you're just living in it. Okay. My literal dog's Instagram bio may be real after all. Yeah. It, Who knows? Said the egg theory. Maybe quote. we all really are the same soul. But before we wrap it up, I want to discuss this. And maybe this explains why we connect with each other so much. 
And I wanted to use celebrities for this example. Okay. There's two types of people out there with celebrities, right? You're either interested in what certain celebrities say and do, maybe even become obsessed. Mm -hmm. Or you don't give a single fuck about celebrities and you can't wrap your head around why people care so much about them. Right. Why do people give them so much attention? Like there's two, you're either one of the above. Right. Like you care or you don't give a shit. And maybe those who are obsessed are connected to them. Maybe that was the best life that they've ever lived mm. or their favorite life that they've lived. And maybe those who don't give a single shit about celebrities, maybe you haven't lived that life yet. So mm. it's coming soon, but you haven't been them. So you have no connection to them. So you're not understanding right. like why people love them. Right. Or you had a horrific experience being a celebrity. Right. And you're like, fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. Yeah, I it's get an that. interesting theory for sure. It's a very interesting theory. Uh, mind fucking, but... I'm going to end us here by reading the actual short story. Okay. But I encourage, encourage you guys to go to YouTube and just search the egg. It's the very first video that pops up. It's got millions of views. And there's this little like animation story that goes along with the reader. And it makes it easier to understand. And the voice actor is incredible and is way better than me. But really, I was or will be that voice actor if the egg theory is true. So like, so I maybe don't that. go to YouTube and you can just listen to me and it's all one and the same. It I don't is. know. It is. It doesn't fucking matter, really. So this is The Egg, written by Andy Weir, posted in 2009. And I got the full short story from galacticnet.com slash one off slash the egg underscore mod dot HTML. And I'm reading it word for word. So and we'll link it for you guys too. We'll link it, yeah. The Egg by Andy Weir. And this is like conversation, so I'm going to try to give two voices in this. Oh, God. Okay. I'm sorry. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Voice actor. You were on your way home when you died. It was a car accident. Nothing particularly remarkable, but fatal nonetheless. You left behind a wife and two children. It was a painless death. The EMTs tried their best to save you, but to no avail. Your body was so utterly shattered, you were better off. Trust me. And that's when you met me. What, what happened? You asked. Where am I? You died, I said, matter-of-factly. No point in mincing words. There was a, a truck and it was skidding. Yep, I said. I, I died? Yep, but don't feel bad about it. Everyone dies, I said. You looked around and there was nothingness. Just you and me. What is this place, you asked. Is this the afterlife? More or less, I said. Are you God, you asked. Yep, I replied, I'm God. Well, my kids, my wife, what about them? Will they be all right? That's what I like to see, I said. You just died and your main concern is for your family. That's good stuff right there. I'm glad God's chill. Yeah, God is like a stoner. Yeah, God's <laughs> literally smoking. Okay, He's like, yep, that's me. I'm God. You looked at me with fascination. To you, I didn't look like God. I just looked like some man or possibly a woman, some vague authority figure, maybe. More of a grammar school teacher than the Almighty. Don't worry, I said. They'll be fine. Your kids will remember you as perfect in every way. They didn't have time to grow contempt for you. Your wife will cry on the outside, but will be secretly relieved. To be fair, your marriage was falling apart. If it's any consolation, she'll feel very guilty for feeling relieved. <laughs> oh, you said. So what happens now? Do I go to heaven or hell or something? Neither, I said. You'll be reincarnated. Ah, so the Hindus were right. <laughs> All religions are right in their own way, I said. Walk with me. You followed along as we strode through the void. Where are we going? Nowhere in particular, I said. It's just nice to walk while we talk. 
So what's the point then, you asked? When I get reborn, I'll be a blank slate, right? A baby. So all my experiences and everything I did in this life won't matter. Not so, I said. You have within you all the knowledge and experiences of all your past lives. You just don't remember them right now. I stopped walking and took you by the shoulders. Your soul is more magnificent, beautiful, and gigantic than you can possibly imagine. A human mind can only contain a tiny fraction of what you are. It's like sticking your finger in a glass of water to see if it's hot or cold. You put a tiny part of yourself into the vessel, and when you bring it back out, you've gained all the experiences it had. You've been in a human for the last 48 years, so you haven't stretched out yet and felt the rest of your immense consciousness. If we hung out here for long enough, you'd start remembering everything, but there's no point to doing that between each life. Well, how many times have I been reincarnated then? Oh, lots, lots and lots, and into lots of different lives, I said. This time around, you'll be a Chinese peasant girl in 540 AD. Wait, what? You're sending me back in time? Well, I guess technically, time as you know it only exists in your universe. Things are different where I come from. Where you come from, you said. Oh, sure, I explained. I come from somewhere, somewhere else. And there are others like me. I know you'll want to know what it's like there, but honestly, you wouldn't understand. Oh, you said, a little let down. But wait, if I get reincarnated to other places in time, then I could have interacted with myself at some point. Sure, happens all the time. And with both lives only aware of their own lifespan, you don't even know what's happening. So what's the point of it all? Seriously, I asked. Seriously, you're asking me the meaning of life. Isn't that a little stereotypical? I'm God. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he gets that all the time. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, every time he dies, he asks him that. Yep. Well, it's a reasonable question. You persisted. I looked you in the eye and I said, the meaning of life, the reason I made this whole universe is for you to mature. You mean mankind. You want us to mature. No, just you. I made this whole universe for you. With each new life, you grow and mature and become a larger and greater intellect. Just me? What about everyone else? There is no one else, I said. In this universe, there's just you and me. You stared blankly at me. But all the people on Earth. All you. Different incarnations of you. Wait, I'm everyone? Now you're getting it, I said with a congratulatory slap on the back. I'm every human being who ever lived. Or who will ever live, yes. I'm Abraham Lincoln, and you're John Wilkes Booth, too. I'm Hitler, and you're the millions he killed. I'm Jesus, and you're everyone who followed him. You fell silent. Every time you victimized someone, I said, you were victimizing yourself. Every act of kindness you've done, you've done to yourself. Every happy and sad moment ever experienced by any human was or will be experienced by you. You thought for a long time, why? Why do all this? Because someday you will become like me because that's what you are. You're one of my kind. You're my child. Whoa, you said. You mean I'm a god? No, not yet. You're a fetus. You're still growing. Once you've lived every human life throughout all time, you will have grown enough to be born. So the whole universe, you said, it's just... An egg, I answered. Now it's time for you to move on to your next life. And I sent you on your way. That what? short story what? has caused yeah. an entire universal theory, conspiracy theory. Yeah. 
that it's the egg theory. Why did he why did he write this or or for what and for what did he fucking research about? <laughs> right. He researched Reincarnation. Maybe religions. Probably. I mean, when you like, that's what I was saying. Like the examples of like, you're we're child of we're children of God. Mm-hmm. We're Jesus in your heart. Like Jesus is within you. Like, yeah. He's always there. He's in. He's right here. Yeah. Like that to me, like. Yeah. But like you can pull that from this entire theory and be like, well, he like never addressed this. No. Well, yeah, he was smoking something real nice. Yeah. That night or his brain just fucking works like that because he's so intelligent. Yeah. Being able to like think on that large of a scope of the entire, the entirety of like a human existence. Right. I mean, I kind of like this theory because I like being the main character. Yeah, I like it. I like it for that purpose. (laughs) I like to think that the whole world is made for me. And it's kind of like the overall message of it is like, we're all one either way. Right. So like treat others the way you want to be treated or like because you're treating yourself because you're treating yourself that way yeah so maybe it was just like about the golden rule i don't know (laughs) wow yeah that's it that's the that's mind fucking are you for for fucking for real right now yeah there's not much on it besides like the the reenactments of it right or like he just like never interviewed like like the people just took his story and like threw out a theory i guess like academic like what are those people that like break psych psychoanalyze yeah. things like that? Yeah. Like that's what they're saying. The meaning of his short story is. Well, I mean, it sounds just like that. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Who the fuck sent this to you? Jess? Jess. Jess. What are you doing? man? Jess. She's like, please cover this. It has me so fucked. Uh, yes, where did, what are you doing, friend? Well, you know, I have heard of it. Like, I have I've never seen even it on TikTok. I've heard of it, but, like, I never, like, sat down and, like... No. Well, because that's so complex. Like, you've got to, like, really, like, pay attention. Like, if you if you wouldn't have explained it prior... Mm-hmm. I was going to read the story, then explain it, but I was like, I'm going to read the story at the yeah, end. Yeah, I would have had so many questions. I wouldn't have, yeah. like... It honestly made more sense after... I heard the entirety of the story. Mm-hmm. But if we would have done it backwards, I'd have been like, who's where what? Yeah, who, what, who? Yeah. Where? I'm you, you're me. That's so... Is it my world or is it <laughs> your yours? I don't know. Let's duke it out and find out. No, that's really... That's like deep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I would just love to know what I just, goes beyond. Yeah. I wish I could think like someone who is like how mad, that intelligent. Dude, how mad are we going to be if we get up there and they're like, you're going back down. You're like, no answers. They're like, well, here's a couple. You're not going to remember them. I'm going to be like, are you I'm like, that's me? fine. Just just tell me right now. So that way I can go into this a little bit more confident. Let's waste some time up here. Yeah, <laughs> let's just chill. I'm going to be like 20 questions. Yeah. And then you like, it's time down. to go. And we're going to be like a little bit longer. I'm trying to keep these memories. Yeah, like I'm trying to stretch out or whatever the fuck you said. Wow. I'm going to be thinking about that forever. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even like have words to say it because it just like stumps my brain. Yeah, like, there's like my nothing. brain's like, what? But my brain's also like, whoa. It's just kind of like a mix, like you said, like a mix of like so many religions. But the way that it talks, like, okay, so everyone knows the the theory that there's technically not an original thought. A thought, an idea is energy. And when you think of like the laws of what physics, energy, I don't know. Who knows, Who knows what it is? The laws of thoughts. <laughs> the laws of thoughts. The laws of thoughts. Like T H O T S, by the way. Basically, once that energy is created and that 
thought or idea is in existence, even if it's mm-hmm. just in your head and it's never spoken, then technically it continues to travel until it's right. captured. And so the theory is that there's no such thing as an original thought. We just bounce thoughts mm-hmm. and whoever has the capability of creating it into something, that's who becomes profitable off of it. Yeah. And so it said that like entrepreneurs and people that are like very good business people or inventors. That when that thought bounces to them, they capture it. They captured it. I mean, have y'all ever watched fucking Shark Tank and be like, I thought of that 15 years ago. Yeah. Anyways, keep going. When I thought of this, when I was rereading it, I didn't think about before when I was doing my notes is that, you know, those videos on TikTok where it's like, I've never had an original experience in my life. Like, yeah, you can't tell me you guys did that as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, that's weird. Yeah, that is weird something to think about no it's that's the exact same thing as like energy is right what it is and it just moves it doesn't stop with you Mm -hmm. it comes because while we all did live such different lives like we all had same experiences things yeah growing up without even knowing you know me and a girl from australia could have done the same exact thing and or thought the same thing like had the same deep thought about i don't know and i actually whenever this started tripping me out because have you ever had a moment when you're watching television and you think something and they say the words right yeah we've talked about this yeah well that happened to me last night oh my god it hasn't happened in so long i know and I, I was watching Gossip Girl and I don't remember the words. And I literally almost said, I, I want to write down these words. It was three words. It was like a phrase. Dun, dun, dun. You remember the last time that happened, right? Mm-hmm. It was when our Venus was about to go in retrograde. Mm, great. It's about to go. No, that's good. Because everything went fucking great for us the last time. You're right. And it was like something about smoking last mm-hmm. night. It was like smoke. And then pickles. Or, no, it's pickles. That's what it was. Pickles. Cereal pickles. It was pickles. Yeah. You, and it, it happened like 15 times back to back mm-hmm. to back. Like you said it, you freaked the fuck out about it. You moved on. Yeah. Two hours later, it happened again. Yeah. And you had never seen that show that you were watching. Right. That's crazy. The stars are aligning. Yeah. Anyway, there's my conspiracy theory. Haven't done wow. one of those on a wheel. I have so many thoughts. He just enjoyed writing science fiction. He just enjoyed writing science fiction. And his idea caught the minds of millions of others. And mm-hmm. they're like, whoa, like, are you on to something? I don't know, man. That was pretty crazy. Right. I know we've literally talked forever. I'm really sorry, but I have to tell you about this, dude. Did I tell you what happened with my Netflix? No, but it's probably the same thing that happened to mine. Guys, who all is getting the email from your parents' Netflix account that says that you're not at the home address? The worst email of your life. The worst notification. Yeah, it's because I'm I'm sitting down. I've gotten all my food ready. I'm ready to sit down and watch TV. We just got done recording. We just got done doing notes. I'm so excited. I sit down. I get my blanket, grab the remote, click it. Boom. You've been kicked off of your Netflix account. What? (laughs) Excuse me? What? No other provider is doing it. No, no one else is doing it. Can they just chill for a sec? I'm really livid about it. So if you're experiencing that, don't worry because actually, so random, Rocket Money saved my life that night (laughs) from a complete meltdown, a nuclear meltdown, because it reminded me that I'm actually paying for a Peacock subscription. Nice. So goodbye, Netflix. And hello, Peacock. (laughs) Hello, Peacock. I forgot I didn't finish the seven-day free trial. (laughs) So here we are, and Rocket Money reminded me about it. And Peacock just now saved your life, and so did Rocket Money. Yes. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place, which actually, it let me know that my spending was a little over the top a couple weeks ago whenever I had to do some wedding deposits, and it's like, you spent over a couple thousand dollars over your usual spending amount. You get it, you throw it across the room so Aaron doesn't see it. And I'm like, oh, thanks for the reminder, but also no thanks for the reminder. Thanks for the reminder. I'm immediately chucking the phone across <laughs> into the TV screen where Netflix is telling me that I no longer am a part of the household. Right, exactly. Over 80% of people have subscriptions that they forgot about, like me and my peacock. And chances are you are one of them. 
them. Rocket Money also helps you manage all of your finances in one place and automatically categorize your expenses so you can easily track your budget in real time and also get alerted if anything looks off, which is a lifesaver when you know my small credit union. There's things that look off all the time. <laughs> uh, over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash creeps and crimes. That's rocketmoney.com slash creeps and crimes. Rocketmoney.com slash creeps and crimes. Okay, to be so for Honest. real, like me and Morgan originally recorded another case for my case when we recorded this episode and we just decided that we wanted to push it because there were some things that we needed to work out. We're back on the mic Monday and right. now I'm recording this new case with you, but I just want to let you guys know because I'm sure we sound completely different. So the case I have for you today is considered almost a true crime conspiracy at this point. Oh, but there's just a lot to it. And this will make a little bit more sense whenever I get to the end. I'm not going to be able to do the full. I'm not going to be able to answer all of your questions with this. And I hate that typically when it comes to cases. But for this one, I find it very necessary. So here we go. On Friday, November 10th, 1978, Andrea Lore called his parents from Chaplin College in Lenoxville, Quebec, Canada. But this was not the typical college check-in from their son that they were expecting. Instead, Andre told his parents that his 19-year-old sister, Teresa Allure, was missing. And she had been missing for a week at this point. What? Teresa and Andre went to the same college, but they ran in very different circles and didn't really see each other that often. So Andre had no idea that his sister had been missing until one of her friends called him asking if she was OK, kind of slash like where she is. According to all of her friends, they had gone home the weekend before, leaving campus after classes on Friday, November 3rd. Teresa told them that she was going to stay put and use this weekend that everyone was gone to catch up on homework and study. So they said their goodbyes. When they all returned on Monday, they discovered that Teresa had not returned like she was not in her dorm room. By Tuesday, when she had still not returned from this like mystery trip that she ended up going on or gone to any of her classes, they really didn't think anything of it. Number one, because she was an adult, she can skip class if she wants and do whatever she wants. But by Wednesday slash Thursday, they were like shitting their pants. They didn't want to rat Teresa out by calling Andre, who would then call his parents if she had just decided to go visit her boyfriend or something. Right. And I also get like the dynamic of like maybe not talking to your sibling for a, a week. Exactly. Or two. Like, yeah. I probably would, too, if my brother went to college with me. Well, this is in the 70s. It's not like you're texting each other and seeing what's up. Like, right. You're doing your own thing. Right. And whenever we get to the layout of this campus, it'll make a lot more sense. They didn't want to rat her out because they were like, she can do whatever the fuck she wants. She's an adult. But by Wednesday, Thursday, they're like, OK, something's not right. So they just kind of kept this to themselves as long as they could, just looking for her and reaching out to people that they knew before reaching out to her brother, Andre. So instead of calling him first, they actually called Heidi, who is Sharice's best friend from home. And they spoke almost every single day on the phone. It was rare that they would go more than two days without talking. Heidi lived in Montreal. And by the time Caroline, who is Teresa's friend, called her, she was concerned about Teresa herself. 
Heidi wasted no time telling Caroline that she needed to hang up the phone with her and tell all of this to Andre and have him call his parents, Bob and Marilyn Allure. And that's exactly what Andre did. Upon hearing the news, Bob's first instinct, who is Teresa's father, was to call Vlad, Teresa's boyfriend. See, that fall, Vlad had been working at a ski resort on Fortress Mountain, which is all the way on the other side of Canada at the top of the Rockies, like where the Rockies go into Canada. Bob told him that Teresa was missing and asked, hey, is she with you? Have you heard from her? That would be the most logical explanation. Exactly. That's what all the friends were thinking. Like maybe she had just gone away to hang out with her boyfriend. And Vlad was just as confused and concerned because like everyone else, he had not heard from Teresa since Friday, November 3rd, and she was not with him. Oh, no. This was everything that the Allures needed to hear to know that their daughter was in danger. So they immediately began trying to get in contact with Chaplin College and preparing to go there. But the first thing they did was head to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Station in St. John, where the Allures lived, and they reported Teresa missing there. The RCMP is the Federal and National Police Service of Canada. According to Teresa's little brother, who was 14 at the time, John Allure, in his book, Wish You Were Here, the St. John RCMP did take the report, but... They let Bob and Marilyn know that because Teresa went missing in Lenoxville, where she was going to college, they would have to transfer her case to them. No big deal. Pretty typical, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay. But the officer then added something that really confused the allures. He said, quote, I'm afraid you're heading for a lot of trouble in Quebec. You will get no help there. Oh, no. End quote. The next morning, referring to the police, referring to the police. And they were like, it was a cryptic warning. He didn't like say anything else about it. He they just kind of thought he was being a dick. You know, they're like, maybe he just has beef with that. Who would anyone say that to somebody whose daughter is missing? Literally. Number one. Two, make it work then. Like, okay, go then. Go there and make them. You investigate, investigate it then. It. Get the jurisdiction since she's technically a resident here. Right. You know, like, I, I don't know exactly what they could have done other than just give a weird fucking warning like that. But that's what they did. The next morning, with Andre still working to find Teresa in Lenoxville, the Allures went to 14-year-old John's Remembrance Day school parade, where he was the drummer. After, they took him home, and this is the first time that they broke the news to him about Teresa missing. They let him know that they were packing up all of their bags, and they were going to drive 10 hours to Lenoxville right then. By the time they got there that night, the St. John RCMP had transferred Teresa's case, and Andre was already putting the pressure on school administrators, asking for for details about her class attendance and begging them to organize some sort of a search party. But they refused, saying, quote, they didn't want to turn the whole school upside down for this particular thing, end quote. Hmm. And informed him. I don't think it's just a thing. Like It's, it's not a thing. Missing, but okay. it, That you're responsible for. And then they went on to inform him that they don't take attendance. No. Since fucking do. when? Right. Let me go to that school. Then. Yeah. Bob and Marilyn were absolutely appalled at the school's lack of concern and action in finding Teresa. Their daughter had been unaccounted for for six entire days at the point that they reported her missing, yet no one seemed to care. It was over a week at this point. They then contacted the RCMP who was handling Teresa's case, so like Lenoxville police. And despite the weird warning from that officer back in St. John, they were reassured that they had been investigating already. They were like, yep, we got the report. We immediately started investigating. We've actually interviewed some people and searched the area. 
Okay. They had taken all of Teresa's friends, like they were not lying. All of Teresa's friends had been interviewed and they were just working on a timeline to figure out what exactly Teresa did on Friday, November 3rd, the last day she was seen. Before we get into what they learned through these interviews in the search, let's walk through the layout of this campus. To say that this layout was interesting would be an understatement, as in the actual campus did not have dorms, to my understanding, to house students. Instead, the dorms that were for this college were located 10 miles away in a nearby, very, very rural town called Compton. What? They would bus would they bus them there? So to walk from the campus to the dorms or from the dorms to the campus, it would be a three hour walk on a very, very desolate rural countryside highway. Very dangerous. So the college had these shuttles that ran every 30 or so minutes back and forth between the campus and the dorms to pick up and drop off students. However, this was not a super reliable form of transportation. The buses would be packed to the brim or they would just not show up for like at least an hour after the time they were supposed to be there. Just typical university bus bullshit. for sure. And the last regular bus that would leave campus to go to the dorms and dorms to campus, vice versa, was at 6.15 p.m. So if you were not on that bus from campus to the dorms at 6.15, you could not get on another bus until 11 p.m., which was like the last one of the night. Wow. It's a big time gap. Yeah. Which, what if you wanted to study the library till 8? You had to wait till 11? You'd have to wait till 11. Because of this, many students would walk or commonly, most commonly, hitchhike back to their dorms due to the ridiculous prices of the taxis. This was something that was known by the university, but honestly, they really didn't seem to give a fuck. So instead of actually creating accessible transport for all of their students. Or moving the dorms closer, putting them on campus. Or making sure that the buses are on time and reliable. They decide that in their fucking handbook, they're going to give you a guide on how to hitchhike. What? The 70s must have been just like a literal free for all danger zone, like a hazard as a whole. Yeah. What the fuck? Wow. According to the RCMP investigators, as written by John Allure in his book, Wish You Were Here, on Friday, November 3rd, Teresa woke up early that morning. She left her dorm room at Gillard Hall to join her friends, Joanne and Caroline, in their dorm, which was King's Hall, because it had a dining, like a very nice dining room, and they all had breakfast together. They ate, and then they got on the shuttle to go to campus, where they chatted on the ride about their weekend plans. The girls were like, we're going to go out of town, and Teresa was like, oh, I'm going to stay home because I have to study, and I just want to get caught up while everyone's gone. Then they got off at the Johnson building stop for their morning science classes. Later that day, Teresa and Joanne linked up at lunch in the common area or like the cafeteria on campus. And then together they walked to the edge of campus because Joanne was going to meet her friend that she was going to go to Montreal with that weekend. And they were hitchhiking from the campus to Montreal. The two said their goodbyes just before 1 p.m. The next time that Teresa was seen was at 6 p.m. in the dining hall where she was eating dinner. It was there that she ran into Josie and Suzanne. And these were two girls that were roommates and lived across the hall from Teresa in her dorm room. The three girls made plans to hang out that evening at 9 p.m. because Josie and Suzanne had just gotten like a bunch of new records and invited her to come listen with them. Oh, And Teresa was like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, I'll be there. 
Josie and Suzanne then went to the bus stop to catch that last regular bus back to Compton, the 615 bus. There, Josie said that she vaguely remembered seeing Teresa leaving the dining hall on foot because she had came out after them and she walked around the bus heading towards the highway that you would hitchhike home or walk home to Compton on. And they said that it was probably because the bus stop was packed and she was like, there's no way I'm going to make that, you know? This was the last confirmed sighting of Teresa. However, another student named Sharon did report that at around 9 p.m., she saw Teresa in King's Hall, which is where Caroline and Joanne lived. She was either walking up or down the stairs, but when Sharon got to her, she was just kind of standing on the stairs. The two chatted for just a second, during which Sharon asked her, like, hey, do you have any plans? Are you leaving this weekend? Teresa said no, she had too much homework, just as she had told Joanne and Caroline earlier that day. But going back to Josie and Suzanne, who had made plans with Teresa to listen to records and their dorm room at nine. They never saw Teresa return home that night, which they could say with certainty because when they got back to their dorm room, they left their door to their room wide open and it had a direct view of Teresa's door. Because of Sharon's report of chatting with Teresa at 9 p.m. and knowing that it was typically a three-hour walk between campus and the dorms, investigators theorized that Teresa may have attempted to hitchhike unsuccessfully. So instead, she just walked the full three hours back But what they couldn't figure out, though, is why she was at King's Hall or where she was before or after. Mm -hmm. They had already searched Highway 147 to be sure that Teresa had not been injured or in an accident of any sort. But there was something odd that stood out to them. The day after Teresa had gone missing, which was Saturday, November 4th, two hunters called in a report to the Lenoxville police from the area surrounding Highway 147 closer to Compton, so closer to where the dorms were. Now, these hunters had found a folded pile of women's clothing on a tree stump in the forest. Mm. The clothes looked very fresh. Like they hadn't been there a while. Right. The clothes looked like they were clean, not been there all night. They were neatly folded and stacked perfectly. Like she, somebody had taken off their clothes and folded them? Yeah. To go skinny dipping or something. Okay. You know, like it was just weird. It was dark corduroy pants and a white t-shirt. Wondering if Teresa had gotten hot on her walk and stopped to take a dip in some water, police were like, okay, we're going to go investigate this area. But this wasn't until a week later when they got the call from the family reporting Teresa missing. So they go with sniffer dogs to search and try and locate the area that hunters described to them and try to find these clothes, but they found nothing. With this, essentially, police told them that that was it. That was all that they could do because they had come to a conclusion on their own about Teresa. At this point, Vlad, Teresa's boyfriend, had arrived from Calgary. He had immediately jumped on a flight and flown to Lenoxville to join her family in searching for her. Therefore, he was present for this meeting between police and the Allures, specifically what the investigator said next. The officer that they were speaking to told the Allures and Vlad that they believed Teresa was not the amazing young woman that she presented to be in front of her family and friends. But instead, she was a troubled girl struggling with a drug addiction who used sex work to pay for her addiction. Please. They said that's the fucking family. Into the boyfriend. Obviously, floored. The allures and Vlad are like, 
where did this come from? Yeah. Like, why? What the fuck? And what the fuck did you just say? Like, so confused. Vlad loses his shit. Like, he had just gotten there. This has just been high stress. And so he lands. He's in this meeting. This is the shit that the cop says to him. So he loses it and screams at the cop. And he's like, do your fucking job. Good. So Bob, Teresa's dad, like has to take him outside and was like, we need to get some air. You need to settle down. Because Bob and Marilyn had already known where this was coming from, whereas Vlad didn't. It was coming from the school. They had met with the director from Chaplin College, and his name was William Matson. during which Matson said something similar, but instead suggested that Teresa was a lesbian. And they were like, Okay, okay, but like, where did you get this one from? And he was like, well, she never has any boyfriends on campus. Okay, so we now know every single student on campus and their sexuality, but we don't give them rides home. And we don't take attendance. transportation. And we don't get concerned or call the family. Like, what the fuck? How do you for real? How do you know what she's doing? Is this still a school? I have no idea. What's it called again? Chaplin College. To look it up. It's in Lenoxville. And to assume that she's a lesbian because she doesn't have a boyfriend on campus. Oh, 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 I forgot to mention this. He also believed this because she was friends with a girl that lived out of town that had two children and was 30 years old. And they knew that? That's what I'm saying. When I was reading through the book, Wish You Were Here, Bob, her dad, was like, at the time, he he like recognized who they were referring to. But whenever the book was written, like he couldn't exactly remember. He believes it was Heidi because Heidi had a child. But yeah, what? like, how do you know about Heidi? Yeah. And who's in her dorm room? What the fuck is going on? Either way, that was all that Matson would say in his office. Instead, he told the Allures that he would meet them at their motel that evening. But he said if they wanted to discuss further at the motel, when he arrived, they would simply ask him to sit down. But if they didn't, they would just say hello and then goodbye. It's like, like yeah, why are we doing code? code? Why are we talking in code? At five o'clock, as he said, he shows up. And as promised, the allures said, sit down. <laughs> right. You know, like, what is going on? There, with only them, he expanded on this story or this theory. And the next part that I'm going to tell you is literally as it is written by John Allure in his book. And one one more time, they're meeting with the detective or the director? This is the director from the college. Okay. Who was like, she's a lesbian because she doesn't have boyfriends and is friends with a 30-year-old that has two kids. Okay. Weird. Whoa. So. Whoa. <laughs> he begins to expand on this story or this theory that he's he had presented to them. And like I said, this next part is literally how it was written by John Allure. He said that, quote, if Teresa were found, she would need psychiatric treatment by court order if necessary. He then asked them if Teresa was adopted. They're like shaking their heads because you can't, they can't even fucking form words to come out of their mouths because they're in complete like, shock. Does this, guy, does this guy even know my daughter? Is and just confused. Right like, girl? what are we talking about at this right. point? Before they could even get a thought out or a question to form, Matson continues talking. And he says, quote, Teresa could have gone somewhere where disturbed people go. Or worse, she may be dead in a ditch somewhere, end quote. And then again, before giving them a chance to talk or form a thought, he wraps this very confusing conversation up, suggesting that the allures go home and, quote, get back to normal and wait for something to happen. I'm sorry. End quote. The director sounds guilty. Guilty or like, you know, something. Yeah. But it only gets weirder. 
So Mattson then just like left, but Bob follows him out to the parking lot and asks him like, where did you get all of this? What are you getting at? What are you even talking about? And where do disturbed people go? And how did you know that she's with these disturbed people? Mattson explained that his secretary had received an anonymous call from, quote, someone who knows a lot about troubled people and where they go. And this person had said that a person meeting Teresa's description had gone to this disturbed people place in the area, end quote. Saying this, as he literally was casually getting into his car, shut the door and drove off. Dude, what? It was at this point that the Allures were able to unfortunately understand what the St. John RCMP officer was talking about with his cryptic warning about not getting much help there. They were going to be doing this all on their own. Yeah, but seems that way. Luckily, they did have some help. Andre was actually dating a girl who was going to the same college as Teresa and him. And her father happened to be this massive, big, wealthy businessman in Montreal. So after learning the news about what was going down with Andre's sister, Teresa, he sends his head of security to go work for the family. Together, this head of security in Maryland searched through Teresa's dorm, not moving things around, not touching anything, just trying to see if there was anything that would indicate where she had gone or what she was doing or if she had this secret double life or what the hell she was wearing that day, just anything. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing at all. Her bed was made. Her room was perfectly clean. There was nothing out of place. She had all of her dirty clothes in a hamper, like sitting by the door as if she was planning on doing laundry when she got back that day. It was just as if she had cleaned her room that morning and walked out to start her day. Bob went door to door in the rural area between the campus and the dorms, asking residents if they had seen Teresa while like showing different photos of her. Meanwhile, Vlad starts going around to all of the monasteries and nunneries in the surrounding areas, almost praying that Teresa had cheated on him, gotten pregnant and went to go hide herself there because that was a theory that the investigator had proposed to them. But there's no sign of her anywhere. They even sent someone to the Vermont border with a photo of her because, one, she loved Vermont. But also there was like this semi-Buddhist borderline cult situation commune just across the Vermont border that, quote, many disturbed people went to. I'm not that's not my words. That's their words. Yeah, but that sounds exactly like the director, like he what he was saying, maybe or he knew recruiters were on campus. Exactly. Because how far was Vermont? Do you know off the top of your head? It's not that far. It's like really a short distance. This is like right on the border. Mm -hmm. But what was really the reason why they even thought to consider this place as intent, like as purposely as in to this degree was because she, at the time she was reading a book about Buddhism. Okay. Like that involved Buddhism. I'm not really positive exactly like what it was about, but either way, she read a lot of fucking books. So yeah. they were like, I mean, we could check that out and matches the it description. Because no one else is giving us anything. Exactly. So they go to the border because they're not going to go to the semi-cult and be like, is this girl here? And no one at the Vermont border could say that if she was there, but most of the people said that they had not seen anyone matching her description. Nothing comes of this. Rumors swirled as the family did every single thing that they could to search for Teresa. Police Chief Hamill later stopped by the Allure's motel room the following morning after the questions with the director from the college happened. And this is like the two week mark now since anyone had seen Teresa and the one week mark of the Allure's being in Lenoxville. The police chief Hamill says to Marilyn when she opens the door, 
Can you remember where Teresa was born? Why do they think she's not who she says she is? It's like they're confused about who Teresa is. Right. He asked this in the same exact tone as the director, Madsen, had done when he asked if Teresa was adopted. So Marilyn responded and just asked him, like, how could I not know where my daughter was born when I birthed her? Right. Like, what are you she fucking came, talking she about? She came out of me. Like, exa- like I carried. being adopted. This is my daughter. I carried that fucking baby. I had her. I remember where the fuck she was born. What are we talking about? Yeah. But they just like never would elaborate on why they needed to know if she was adopted or not. The school so or the weird, police. Dude. It's just so weird. By late November, the Allures had hired a private investigator named Robert Bolak or Bulak. And he immediately got to work on Teresa's case. Though there was too much snow on the ground to actually do a separate search of the highway where she is believed to have been hitchhiking or walked and where these clothes were found, Robert started from the very beginning. He just started the investigation over, essentially. Since the time that Teresa had gone missing, the only people that had been known of in her dorm was her mother and the head of security when they just looked around. He was the first one to actually go in and sift through the things. He first started by re-interviewing all of the students that he could find and Teresa's friends. And then he searched the dorm room. First and foremost, through these interviews and these search, he was able to confirm that the allures were not being lied to by their daughter. According to all of her friends, she was not struggling with substance abuse of any kind or hanging around troubled people or working as a sex worker. She would occasionally smoke weed with her friends and she would smoke cigarettes, but that was nothing new. Everyone knew she smoked cigarettes and it was nothing Nothing more than that. He also confirmed that there were pieces of jewelry missing from Teresa's room, like her everyday pieces that she would wear. And they were confirmed to be the ones that she was wearing on Friday, November 3rd. He also confirmed that her wallet was missing. From the interviews and the search of the dorm room, Robert was finally able to nail down what Teresa was wearing on Friday, November 3rd. A white t-shirt with a beige sweater over top, a pair of blue corduroy pants, a green scarf, and black slipper-like flats. So literally what the hunters had found that now no one knows where it's at. Following up on that potential sighting or conversation that was never really confirmed at King's Hall between Sharon and Teresa on the stairs, Mm -hmm. Robert asked Teresa's friend, why would she have gone there knowing that y'all were going to be out of town? And all they could theorize was that maybe she was stopping by to see if Caroline had left just yet before walking to this nearby convenience store where the girls would often walk to to buy a pack of cigarettes. So maybe she was like, hey, before you go, do you want to go on a walk to get cigs? Like, whatever. But that was it. They could not think of another reason as to why she would be there. Robert and the Allures continued to search for Teresa in Lenoxville. However, by the time that the semester had come to a close and the year was wrapping up, there were no new developments. And the winter storm and weather was only making this worse. So the Allures were forced to return home to St. John, heartbroken and confused without Teresa. Saturday, April 14th, 1979. It had been five months since Teresa was last seen. The Allures were out of town visiting their family in Trenton, Ontario. This is where like all of the aunts, uncles, cousins and parents of Bob lived and they were all hanging out just having like a family reunion essentially at Bob's parents house when the phone rang. On the other end, it was police in Lenoxville. The day before, on Friday, April 13th, a woman's body was found floating in a small body of water just a mile and a half from Teresa's dorm. 
According to John Allure's writing, a 30-year-old man named Robert was setting up his muskrat traps in the morning on the banks of the rivers in Compton, then the Cook Valley with his truck parked near the entrance of a farm. And he was setting up his traps up and down the road. And then he got back in his truck and drove to this like small service bridge, pulling his truck off to the side at the start of it. This was approximately 50 meters down the road from where he was initially parked. This bridge sat over a pond at the base of a spring that ran off from the farm fields. It was a place that he was really familiar with. He typically would put his traps here. He parked and he went over the guardrail, walked down the embankment, and then he followed the edge of the pond until getting to this location of this large oak tree. It was just off the road and near the edge of a cornfield. This was where he had stashed all of his trapping materials, I guess was what you would say. I don't really know what for sure, but like I know it was like wires and cords and stuff. He put them there at the end of last season just for early access and not having to lug it down that thing that he just had to walk down. He finds his stash and he gets out the wires and the cords and he begins setting up more traps. He's walking along the pond, getting a little bit closer to the road. So now he's like 30 meters away from the road where his car was. He was trying to figure out how he, he could get around or climb over this very large limb of a tree that had fallen and broken sometime over the winter. As he's doing this, trying to get around it so he doesn't have to go through the pond, something catches his eye to his right. In the middle of the pond, it looks like a mannequin is floating face down in the water, only wearing a bra and underwear. But the closer he looked, he realized it was not a mannequin at all. It was a girl. The woman's body was unrecognizable. However, police noted that she did have pieces of jewelry on that matched those belonging to 19-year-old Teresa Marie Allure. Near the woman's body, investigators also located a bag of clothes. However, none of them matched what Teresa had been wearing that day, except for they did find somewhere on the bank or in the nearby area a green scarf. Within 24 hours, the Allures arrived in Montreal to identify her body. Bob, Teresa's father, was taken into the room where the body was being held. When he came back out, he was visibly shaken. He believed it was Teresa, but he could not recognize her. Wow, that's so sad. The only thing that he could say for sure was that this woman did have a similar scar to Teresa above her eyebrow. Therefore, they used dental records, which then confirms that, yes, this was the body of 19-year-old Teresa. Because of the level of decomposition in the bloating from the water, they could not determine her cause of death without a formal and in-depth autopsy. The corporal and coroner suggested that it was possibly a drug overdose, drowning, or even a suicide. Come However, on. a toxicology report would confirm. But we didn't do one. What? Let me guess. I'm like, wait, okay, wait, we can't I, we can't say anything from looking at her for sure because of the level of decomposition, but we do know it was a drug overdose, right. possibly a suicide or a drowning. What are we talking about? Yeah. Why are we making these statements that we have no idea for sure of anything about? They also mentioned that they could see some bruising under her arms, like on her armpits, which Bob then asked, would this indicate foul play? Adding that with her being only in her bra and underwear, could they tell if she had been a victim of sexual assault or a sexually motivated crime? To which the investigator in the coroner says, well, her underwear was in perfect condition, so we don't think sexual assault would have been a possibility. I'm sorry, what? Because it had not been torn, because it had not been mutilated, you think that that immediately rules out sexual assault? 
These people are pissing me off, but it only gets worse, Morgan. They continued on with their theory about this being an accidental drug overdose, suicide, drowning. Police theorized that Teresa had gone and done drugs at some point between campus and her dorm, possibly overdosed with friends in King Hall, who then panicked and dumped her body in the pond took her clothes off of her. For one, that's foul play, but you already ruled that out. Right. Now I'm confused. Now I'm confused. I thought this was accidental. Then took off all of her clothes and her wallet, hiding them in the woods while also folding the clothes in a different location so that they could throw investigators off and make them think it was an accident. Come on. Now, at this point, her wallet had not been found. But by some weird coincidence, it just so happened on April 20th, just days after her body was found and they gave this whole theory to the family, a farmer calls police and reports that he found Teresa's wallet. It was on the side of the road on his property, just 12.5 miles away from where her body was found. 12.5 miles, Morgan. And it just so happened after a fucking year, he finds it on the side of the road. Yeah, come on. Even more so than that, on a road that she would have never even been walking down if she had taken Highway 147 to go home. Meaning someone else was involved. Someone else is involved in this. Also, if we were going to say that, oh, she just went to that convenience store to get cigarettes. This is nowhere near that. Right. This is nowhere near that. After weeks of re-interviewing peers, retracing Teresa's steps, waiting on the coroner's report, police finally got back to the allures. The corporal had concluded in his findings that were in a written report, the official ruling cannot be made and only time will tell. This was on a written room will tell. Time's going to tell. But they labeled her death as violent and undetermined. Okay, well, what what was it? If it's violent, what does that mean? It's like they're all in cahoots in this little city. Exactly. It's fucking weird. It's just fucking weird. So they're like, we we can't tell, but we think our theory's the one. Time will tell. Maybe someone will tell. Someone will come forward with it. So they label her death as violent and undetermined, but that was it. He then reassured the allures that the case of Teresa would remain open and active as new details were likely to emerge as news traveled. And then they get home and like days after getting home from this, they get a package in the mail from the Lennoxville police. Inside, still in evidence bags, are Teresa's wallet and all of her jewelry. How are you actively investigating a case if you're sending me all the evidence that we have? Right. The allures did not fucking touch any of this or remove it from the bags, hoping and praying to God that someday if they just kept these things safe, they would get some sort of answers from them. Right, or the maybe hoping and praying that someone's going to come to their fucking senses from that department. Exactly. And investigate correctly. Years and years go by, though, and there were no updates, no developments, no communications between the police department and the allures. Like, it's as if they just completely forgot about Teresa's case. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, also, I do want to note that the family was still being charged by the university. To pay tuition? T- tuition and boarding and the food. I'm not fucking joking. Food? Who's eating the and books food? and books that she didn't return? Unbelievable. Yeah. So in the 90s, Andre takes over the case for his parents and he starts trying to get the ball rolling once again. He starts re-interviewing all of her friends and he actually brings John, the youngest brother, in on this. I don't know if he is the youngest brother, but he's younger. The brother that was 14 at the time. He brings John in on this and John actually goes and requests Teresa's case file because of the Freedom of Information Act. He actually receives a part of the case file because obviously they don't send out the entirety of it, especially when it's still considered an active case. 
Mm -hmm. He starts going through it with Andre and something jumps out at them. The toxicology report. This was something that the family had never laid eyes on before. So they're reading the results and it's completely clean. No. There was nothing at all in Teresa's system. But they were still pushing OD. I do want to like bring this up. So at this point in time, Andre, the brother that was on campus with Teresa at the time, came to terms with the fact that maybe they had been experimenting with drugs while listening to records or something and something did happen. Mm -hmm. Because that's what college kids do. It, right. Whatever. It's the 70s too on top of all this. And that's what authorities are telling them happened. Right. And so wh why wouldn't they feel okay to trust the police? You know right. what I mean? Like it's just so weird. So they kind of were in this place where the reason why they were trying to get this case open again is because they wanted the friends that had done this to Teresa to be held accountable. But when they see this, they're like, what the fuck? So they keep going through this coroner's report, which is the autopsy report. When they find that the coroner had noted Teresa had strangulation marks on her neck and vomit in her throat, which is a side effect of strangulation. Well, I guess time really is telling. Exactly. To the coroner. But what's even more crazy about all of this is the number of government officials, law enforcement officials that had their hands on this case file and fucking read this. Because whenever the Lenoxville Police Department was shut down just a few years after all this went down, the QPP took over, which is like the Quebec police. And in 83, there was an inquest into Teresa's case. An inquest is where you read through every piece of the case file in mm -hmm. detail in front of like multiple people. So many people had seen that she had no drugs in her system or no alcohol in her system. And many people had seen that she had strangulation marks and signs of strangulation, yet no one ever brought it up or reclassified her case as a homicide. Right. In 2002, John Allure reached out to his high school girlfriend and and she was now and is now an investigative reporter. Together, Patricia with John wrote a series of articles on Teresa's case. In this, they presented evidence that pointed towards Teresa being murdered and her death being also linked to many other unsolved cases in the area. Oh, fuck. This theory of theirs that they published was supported by FBI consultant and geographic profiler Kim Rosmo, Rosmo, I'm sorry with the pronunciation, who believes that a sexual serial predator was operating in this specific region of Quebec during the late 70s. And there's many other cases that are similar to Teresa's that can be linked to this potential perpetrator. No big deal, though. Time will tell. This person advised local police that they needed to investigate these cases together and they would likely be able to locate who this person was. Right, and make tons of connections. Tons of connections. they're all connected. And solve but tons of fucking trying. cases. At this point, John and Patricia really needed Teresa's full case file. They needed to make sure that they were looking at everything. They knew the full scope of her murder because they needed to compare it with these other victims. So they continue requesting it while compiling a list of similar missing or murdered women or girls in the area. Once their articles were released in the summer of 2002, hundreds of tips and leads poured in from women who reported 
I was attacked during this time. I reported it with the Lenoxville police. I reported it with this police department and nothing ever came of it. I gave a description. I had a composite sketch made. Wow. Unbelievable. John and Patricia found composite sketches of these potential suspects and descriptions. It was all the same person. With this, they reached out to someone and it's like never explicitly stated. But in my opinion, I would think that it would be the FBI consultant, Kim, who we were just talking about. But this person for sure was within law enforcement. And they send this person everything, all the tips that were coming in, so on and so forth. Within days, the person that they had sent it to sent them a file back and said, this is your guy. It was a suspect named Luke Gregoire, I think is how you pronounce it. When you look at pictures of this dude and the sketch and the description, it's the same fucking person. Exact match. The exact person. But what's weird is that at the time they're getting this done, so 2002, 2003, Luke was only in his 30s and he was serving time in a prison in Alberta. Now, this is what we know exactly about his records, but Canada has a lot of protections for inmates, so they don't release like everything mm-hmm. as to why someone has been arrested. But we do know he's in there. Not the U.S. He has been. No, we're like this motherfucker did this. But I appreciate that. that. I yeah. appreciate fucking knowing that needs me too. In my opinion, I feel like it does need to be public unless it's something dumb as shit. Mm-hmm. What they know about his record is that like dating back years and years and years, he had a rap sheet of robberies, DUIs, attacking a sex worker with a knife. And he was a suspect in a series of murders of local sex workers. Like he was considered a suspect to be a fucking serial killer at one point. But lastly, what landed him in prison was in 93, he either murdered or attempted to murder a young girl that was a sex worker, breaking her legs and strangling her. But being 30 in 2002 would make him 10. So when looking at his past, John and Patricia learned that he was only 17. Okay. He was in his 30s. He wasn't 30. Sorry, my bad. He was only 17 in 1978 when Lisa went missing and was murdered, but he was living in Compton and his record did expand into his teen years. With all of this and so much pushing and hard work, John and Andre and Patricia take all of this that they've compiled and even the suspect to the QPP. They demanded a reinvestigation and they handed everything over and they handed over countless of other case files of people that could potentially be connected to Teresa's murder. And they even took the wallet that they still had in the evidence bag and said, fucking test it. Months and months go by. Police were like, oh, we're going to investigate it. Oh, just kidding. We can't do it just yet. Oh, we're going to oh, we can't do it just yet. But they finally get a call months later. They had done testing on the wallet. They found the DNA of, quote, a suspect, end quote, is what the police told John and Andre. We found DNA of a suspect. They compared it to Luke's and they said it was not a match. They don't know who it, whose DNA it is. No, not public. Nope. That's all they would say. What the fuck is going on there? John Alors. Does anyone live there? (laughs) Can you let me know? Who the fuck lives here? Because I'm about to literally like tell you to get the fuck out. John Allure successfully lobbied for the creation of the cold case unit with the QPP, which was formed actually in 2004. And he continued to fight for his sister. In 2017, John and Patricia started a podcast called Who Killed Teresa, focusing on his sister's case, as well as taking on many other Quebec cases, proving the systematic failures and incompetence of the Quebec criminal justice system. In November of 2018, John Allure was awarded this like very honorable medal from the Senate of Canada 
Florida for his work in victims advocacy. And he even had a hand in the creation of the cold case unit for Montreal in 2019. In 2020, John and Patricia published their book, Wish You Were Here, about Teresa's murder and investigation. There is so much more on this case, very many theories and so many viable leads that they had uncovered. But I want to direct you to John's work if you want to learn more, because this case is so infiltrated with theories and ideas. And it's just it can get a bit unorganized if you're not reading it from the source. And I don't want to take their words from them because this is their investigation. Mm -hmm. I highly suggest that you listen to the podcast who killed Teresa and read the book Wish You Were Here. All of these links can be found on TeresaLore.com and I'm going to put that in the description of this episode. It has been it my only source for this entire episode. But while on their website, I came across something that just like shattered my heart. On Thursday, March 30th, 2023, John Allure died suddenly at the age of 59 after being hit by a car on his morning bike ride. Oh, my God. As for the driver that hit John, it was a 26-year-old woman that was charged with failure to reduce speed and misdemeanor death, which I'm assuming is kind of like our version of manslaughter. Manslaughter. In honor of John, Teresa, and the Allure family as a whole, I just really ask that you guys take the time to look up his work and share Teresa's story so that one day maybe she can receive justice along with the countless other cases that John worked on in his lifetime to try and get justice for and prove that Quebec's criminal justice systems is clearly fucked up. Clearly. I mean, and who do you even like, who even would investigate their justice system? I guess the RCMP. But I don't they act like they had no like, like do they have an FBI the, it's the RCMP but like they serve the RCMP serves as like a little bit of everything I think I don't really know much about it but I just know it's it's similar and different yeah well someone they need a new chief over there and they need this to be well reopened reinvestigated every all of these girls now the last thing that I do want to like wrap up with with I think it was Luke or if it was one other person that I read I, I couldn't remember but this is one of the pieces that like if you want to learn more you need to go read and you need to read it from the source directly it was either about Luke or a second suspect that they had uncovered. One of these people during the time that Teresa went missing that weekend, the next day. So Saturday, November 4th, one of these suspects had worked as an informant on a drug bust for the Lanksville police. Oh, my God. Pardoned. Wow. That's all that I can. That That's truly what like a twisted. Unless this was like a, a straight up like a a, a police officer that was a fucking serial killer and they're covering their asses. Right. I did think of that. But also the director of the university is gives me the creep. Fucking no. The university as a whole. We're not going to stop this for this particular reason. Particular this reason. This particular thing. That's what particular thing. OK, that to me, that sounds like, you know, where she's at. Right. And I find it so weird that they came and gave all these fucking theories and said all this weird shit. And use code like if you want me to sit down, tell me to sit. If you want me to leave, say thanks. Hello and goodbye. What? What? And why are you coming here to talk? Why, why are you, you saying more in your in, office? In Morse code. And like still. Use your words. When you came here to talk with me in a hidden area that wasn't your office, which would say you said made you feel more comfortable, you were still speaking in code and you're not yeah. telling me the full extent of everything. Yeah. Dude. And did you report this anonymous call to the police or what's going on? That is twisted. Wow. What a botched investigation. Uh, corrupt. It's corruption. And the fact that like, I don't know what the circumstances around the Lennoxville Police Department being disbanded was, but like, 
I can only fathom that it was something having to do with shit like this. Yeah. And I did want to know, like when I was reading through the police chief that worked, I think his name was Hamill, who came to the door and asked Marilyn, do you know where your daughter was born? Dumbass. Apparently, like there was never anything going on like this in this area, mm-hmm. like murders and people going missing and so on and so forth. And so Bob and Marilyn said, like, we later did kind of forgive him because we felt bad for him. Like he was in over his head. He was just trying to get to the point where he can retire. Like he was like a year away from retiring. Mm-hmm. His health was declining. He was not in good mind space either. He was just kind of trying his best with what he had, but he was in over his head. Right. And a different- Uncharted waters. Exactly. In uncharted waters. And th- there should have been help from a federal police or law enforcement agency. They should have come in. For sure. Especially when this is something so alarming. Like, okay, she was hitchhiking. Let's say she was hitchhiking. She got murdered by someone that picked her up. You need to investigate that because you have kids hitchhiking all the fucking time. Right. You have a manual on how to do it safely in your handbook. Yep. Just really fucked. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty twisted. Yeah. Also, a really interesting suspect that they presented. A girl calls and she's like, my dad murdered Teresa. Whoa. And he apparently did a deathbed confession. It was him and his two brothers that would do this. And they lived out in the farms in Compton. Wow. But again, it's their theory. I want you guys to read about it. I just wanted to give you the case so you can continue to do work, think about it and gain attention. Like, I don't want this to be like a clickbait situation. Yeah. It's truly unsolved. These are just theories, but I don't want to take their words. I don't want to take their work from them. So if you guys want to learn more about that, you can go to TeresaAllure.com and I'm going to put the link down there. I, I really, I highly recommend that you read the book. I got a PDF version of it. I want to listen to the podcast. Off of there. The podcast does also cover multiple other cases. I I've heard of it. I didn't take the time to listen to it because I was reading the book instead, but I did go and look at the podcast and there were multiple other ones. And by the way, you know what the review was on it? The the most recent review? I came here to listen to Teresa's. Why are there so many other people cases being covered on here? Are you fucking serious? It was like a one star review. I can't. What the fuck is wrong with people? Anyways, that's all that I have for you guys today. I hope you guys are okay after the egg theory. And maybe I kind of brought you back to reality just a little bit. But then again, like this whole case itself is also a conspiracy. Yeah. So good luck. I hope no one's high. I hope you are. I hope you're not. You're not okay if you are. Oh, shit. Okay. Love you guys. See you next Thursday. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.